Welcome to Postwave. You're here with Eric and Trevor. Today we're talking about free will. We're going to be talking about whether volition exists, whether free will exists, and how that's tied to whether the universe is deterministic or indeterministic, and whether every possibility exists, and also how this all relates to moral responsibility. Let's start with your your definition of, of free will. Mm. Yeah, so to me, what free will speaks to is the ability to make decisions and to act upon them. Okay, so a decision that, that takes input from your environment that you're, you're like uh, deliberating on, kind of, right? Yes, yeah. And it doesn't matter for you whether it's like something you think about for a long time and like change your mind back and forth or whether it's something that uh, you you immediately like the answer comes into your head and you just do that thing. Yeah, I don't think there's a distinction there. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely like a valid definition. Like some, some people would would give that as as all that free will is. Um, but I, I think there's something something deeper about your your decisions uh couldn't have been otherwise hmm. so i guess this comes to our point of contention then <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so uh, speak a little bit more about that if you would so so when you're making a decision it, it seems like you can choose one thing or the other and after you make the decision it seems like you totally could have just as easily gone the other way Mm -hmm. right especially if it's something trivial like which flavor of ice cream you want to have or something um and you might even like regret your decision (laughs) Um, alas (laughs) pistachio (laughs) um but i i don't think that's that's really the case uh (laughs) because the, the the decision you made was was totally dependent on your brain state before you made the decision which itself was dependent on the inputs to your to all your senses and the the, the state of your brain prior to you making that decision and uh, whether the brain functions according to determinism or not i don't think it really makes sense to say that you could you could have chosen differently mm. How does that track? I, I know there's a lot of uh, woo-woo about ooh, uh, quantum mechanics <laughs> means free will, but so so I think I think even if it's random, um, yeah, you know, pe- people will some people will say that the uh, quantum mechanics leaves open the door for for free will. Um, and I think it's definitely possible at least a little bit, but um, if it was truly random, I don't think that's 
the same sense that people think of free will in most of the time. Mm. Because if, if, uh, if you imagine your decision was just based on like a random number generator, I, I don't think that would, that would square with what people think of as free will. Okay. And maybe that's what's creating the, the illusion, but, but I don't think it's the yeah, same thing. Yeah, this is interesting. Let's talk about this. Um, I think this is a language that we can agree on in that as I see the world, there's definitely certain constants about our existence that even though we might want them to be otherwise, have to be that way. That mm -hmm. the world should be imperfect that it should be broken so it seems to me that in order for anything to exist at all there has to be the possibility for anything at all to exist uh see, that seems like it's just saying the same thing <laughs> <to me. laughs> uh, uh, no it's clever because i mixed up the word order um <laughs> yeah no, so if if you want a particular world state to exist, you have to open the doors for any possible world state to exist. Okay. Um, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. I mean, it, it kind of connects to the whole uh, many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics mm -hmm. that, that every pos if the universe is truly infinite and quantum mechanics works the way we think it does, then, then uh, everything that it can happen will happen. Mm. Well, so, so um, to me, this uh, this is something that is absolutely true, and I hope I can uh, communicate how, uh, although this is a tricky thing, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. that in order for a particular world state to exist, that we have to open up the possibility for anything to exist. And I think what it comes down to is that there's a particular, I think what it comes down to is that it's again, if, if things are to exist, where did they come from? Yeah. I, that, that's a, that's a big question. Uh -huh. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> would you accept that at some point something had to come from nothing? Well, it's either that or. Um, it's that our concept of nothing doesn't really map onto reality. Like we have, mm -hmm. we have this idea because the, the world we see around us, uh, makes us think that, that there or just the way our brain works at least makes, makes us think that there is such a thing as nothing. That's like mm -hmm. a meaningful concept that, that wraps on maps onto reality. But mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true. And it, it and it, uh, let's explore that. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I at least remember in in um, a brief history of time by by Stephen Hawking, he talks about how the, the universe could have not had a beginning, mm -hmm. and and it's just always existed. Mm. And I mean, it's it's kind of hard to square with the Big Bang, I guess, but especially if if the multiverse theory is true and it's just it's been a bunch of different Big Bangs happening for eternity and that that could that could you know that could make sense yeah yeah I'd, i would i would buy that interpretation 
But at the same time, I think there is value in the concept of an origin, even if it's not the end-all, be-all origin, but just an origin. Where did something come from? Let's say it's a particular something. Let's say it's you. Let's say it's Trevor we're talking about. Where did Trevor come from? (laughs) And uh, if you go back far enough, you have to say that Trevor came out of nothing. But but why? Because, you mean, if you go back all the way to the the beginning of the universe or if you go back to... Sure, yeah. I don't know. uh, Yeah, I still don't think that's... I mean, I, I... I agree. I agree. It's possible. I don't agree that it's necessarily true. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm struggling to understand how that stance fits in to the discussion. Yeah. So, so how do you, how do you see that relating to to free will? Hang on. We kind of got derailed a couple, (laughs) a couple times. Um, yeah, because I, what I was trying to demonstrate was that how how the world must necessarily be open to any form of existence as opposed to simply one desired existence. Because, okay, we'll take it a different tack. So here's a question. You can imagine that there is a particular world state that is the best or at least it's ideal for everyone. It's, it's the most beneficial sort of situation. Can you imagine such a thing? Yeah, sure. So if such a possible world state could exist, why does it not exist right now? Because it's very unlikely and we're, we're not in the branch of the quantum wave function where that exists. Um, and also it's, it's very, it's unlikely and it's also unstable because if, if you're, if you're saying that everyone has maximized their well-being, I think just due to the chaotic nature of, of, of the universe that, that situation won't stick around for that long. Hmm. Interesting, uh, chaotic nature. So that 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 does tie into what I, I'm talking about, but I, I don't necessarily buy that it would have to be unstable. I think um, that if if you have all of existence working towards this goal, then there would be no external force to take it away from that goal. It's only the playing of existence against existence that creates the effect of, um, of uh, chaos, of, of deviating from that order. Huh. It's only existence playing against existence that creates the chaos. Yeah, because you said that there's, see, there's some... Uh, mystical force of of chaos of uh, uh, heat death or whatever that causes an ordered state to go from ordered to being disordered right right 
But I would posit that there is no such mystical force, that the on, that is only a result of the way things are already chaotically interacting. But that if you achieved a synchronicity of all of existence working together towards a particular goal, then there is no other force that could get in the way of that. Isn't that kind of like a perpetual motion machine? Um, only in the sense that the universe is like a perfect, perpetual motion machine. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's not. That's what the, that's what the heat, heat death of the universe is when, is when the perpetual motion machine uh, stops. Mm. Is there... So, 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 so let's talk about this, this heat death thing. Um, is there like a particular arbitrary cutoff after which point you can say it has died or is it just that it continually expands and approaches lesser and lesser, uh, temperatures? I mean, I mean, at some point it gets to absolute zero and it's kind of like an asymptotic thing. Let me look does it, up it actually does it actually reach absolute zero or does it just approach it? Because I thought absolute zero was impossible. Yeah, let's see. Um, I mean, I know one of the last thing that that one of the last things that happens is proton decay, mm -hmm. and that happens after you know some some ten to the some ridiculous number of years. Um, uh, and then you know I think before that it's like black holes evaporate. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's conflicting theories, but uh, this says after the evaporation of all baryons, the resulting bath of zero frequency photons, indistinguishable from empty space, will condense into new protons each miles across, which will undergo another 13.8 billion year long exponentially accelerating shrinkage and evaporation, and so ad, ad infinitum. Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe you do have kind of a point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Anyway, that that's uh, again an aside. Um, so what I was saying was that for there to be any existence at all, there has to be the possibility of any possible existence. To me, this is another way of saying that existence is confined to a chaos pattern of random things happening because mm -hmm. okay because so we have this hypothetical situation where this is the way the world we want should be right this is the, the we have a hypothetical best state world mm -hmm. and then we have the world that we have right now and so then again the question is why do we not have the world that we want? Why do we have this imperfect world? Uh, because, like I said, it's it's very unlikely. And what? Well, wh why? <laughs> because there, there's a lot more ways for it to be imperfect than for it to be perfect. Yeah, um, and I agree. But why? Why do we have to have one of the imperfect ones? Shouldn't we? be able to 
immediately upon existing, recognize the best possible world and then achieve that <laughs> and then live in that. It, we could do that if we had free will. <laughs> <laughs> we could do that if we had volition. Uh, how do you distinguish volition from free will? This comes down to the ability to make decisions. Um, in a previous discussion, we were talking and we sort of agreed on this point that, yeah, okay, you can make decisions, but you can't decide what it is that you want. Mm -hmm. Do you still hold by that stance? Yeah. Cool. So if you have volition, volition that just means that you can make decisions. So let's say there's random existence that takes the form of us existing and we recognize that our existence um, is misaligned with the best scenario. Mm -hmm. We have no free will to say that we want something else. We see that there is only this one thing that we can want. And so we take steps to achieve that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that all makes sense. So that, that's that's volition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I I agree with that. I just I just wouldn't call that free will. Mm -hmm. So yeah, totally. So, but what all, all I'm trying to get at right now is that there has to be the state we're in right now that is imperfect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there, <laughs> there has to be the state that we're in right now, period, right? Yeah. And as we look at that state and see how it varies from the, the perfect possibility that we want, then we know that in order for some form of existence to exist then any form of existence must be able to exist as well. Because why would we be in this state as it is not the desired state? I guess I see, see what you're getting at. I guess my, my question is also like perfect according to who. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point because um, the world is made up of a lot of different entities, so it seems, that have different goals and desires mm -hmm. but what i think is that the difference in desires can only arise um, as those entities fail to recognize that all of the other entities are part of itself mm -hmm. you said fail to recognize that they're they're part of itself yeah, because, yeah. okay, let's say you have Bob and Jane in a closed room and um, they both want to live um, and there's 18 sandwiches <laughs> <laughs> and there's no way to get out of the room and they both just want to live as long as they can. So... Bob could kill Jane and then eat all 
15 sandwiches. (laughs) 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 Or Bob could recognize that Jane is also a living entity made of the same conscious stuff as he is and that her existence has value as much as his own and then they could share the sandwiches Mm -hmm. and live a little bit shorter time (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean if if they they're already killing the other person then they can uh (laughs) revert to cannibalism and and live even longer so I feel like you have to... Ah, that's a good point. Actually, that was a really <laughs> terrible analogy that I put together. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a better way to put that. Um, <laughs> okay, let's say you are on a, a, a train track and um, there is a trolley and it's headed for five people and you're on the other train track and you're tied down, but you happen to be within the reach of the lever that'll turn it onto your track. Mm-hmm. Now, if you recognize the value of those other people as being the same as your own, then you'll pull that lever and the world will have greater amount of value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but meanwhile, your, your evolutionary drive for self-preservation is screaming at you that you don't pull the lever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think given that every every living being on earth has that has that drive, really strong drive within them and that you know, that uh almost no one, yeah, especially animals don't have the the like willpower to overcome that. Like what what about what about all the 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 like carnivores that would die because they couldn't eat the the like their prey (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you know all that's right but i think you totally missed my point (laughs) i yeah i I accept i mean if if you're like utilitarian there is some state of the world that would would like maximize general well-being Mm mm-hmm Okay, so, so how does this all, all tie back to free will? Okay, so let me just lay it out without any derailings, without any, oh, but maybe that's not true. And I'll, I'll just sh- put it together. You can pick it apart afterwards. Sound okay. good? Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. For anything to exist, it's necessary for any possibility to exist. This is because there you can imagine a world state that is desirable, that is more desirable than the current world state and that is attainable. And if you look at the present moment and say, why do we not have the perfect reality? You must realize that, oh, it's because... Things just happened that made it so that we are in the current place that we are. And those things happened before there was any sort of uh, conscious concerted drive toward achieving that goal. Like you were saying, it's infinitely improbable 
that the best world just happens first. It's much more problem that, or it's much more probable that things will just happen and they aren't going to be the most desirable situation right off the bat. And so what, what this says to me is that there are certain patterns that are unavoidable to existence. Certain undeniable facts about the way existence, the forms that existence takes. And to me, that pattern is clearly that of a chaos pattern. It uh, is a thing that appears to be random. It's just random things happening that eventually coalesce into patterns which then can make decisions. And in this sense, uh, I, I, I agree with your statement that there is no free will. Right, because it's, it necessarily has to strive towards this perfect state. Yeah, and that it necessarily has to include the imperfect state. Right, right. Okay, so, but you still think there's free will. Yeah, because for me that language um, only speaks to volition as opposed to uh, the ability to choose what you desire. Okay, so, so okay, so now that we, we I think we kind of, kind of settled that whole thing. So, so how about this, this ability to, to choose what you desire thing? Because that seems to be like the sticking point. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, actually, actually, I don't think that's a sticking point. I think that's where we agree that I, I don't believe that you can necessarily choose what you desire. I, th- I think you've swayed me on this point since our last discussion. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, be- because of what I've just delineated, I-, I feel like if you could choose what you desire, then that uh, situation that I just set up wouldn't work because you could pursue alternate world states and you wouldn't be forced towards that particular one. So you could say the world state that we have right now is the perfect world state that I want. And that's just, it just happened that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, cool. So, so what do we disagree about then? Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I I think we may have uh, ironed it out. <laughs> um, however, I still disagree with the language of saying there is no such thing as free will or saying that there is this proof against free will. Because to me, free will, as I've said, it speaks only to volition, but I think it's important to recognize that that term for a lot of people, all what what's important about that term is the ability to differentiate actions in a hierarchy of desirable versus non-desirable actions. Now, if you say there is no free will, what that means to most people is 
no action you make has any consequence one way or the other because you don't matter and nothing you do matters. I mean, I, I don't, uh, people, people might get that impression, but I don't think it makes sense to say that actions don't have consequences. I, I think well, it, it, it means that, that, uh, that all this like mental effort and, and kind of hemming and hawing over, over your decisions, uh, and the resulting anxiety and, and just kind of mental anguish isn't, isn't really justified because, mm. because in the end you're going to make whatever decision you make. Interesting. Um, to me that, that is a really valuable takeaway, but to me that's also kind of a different issue. Um, I have seen the folly of trying to wish that what you chose was, was better. Like to me, it is, uh, 100%, uh, useless to think about what could have been for past decisions. And I've seen people who beat themselves up and destroy themselves over wishing they had done something different, even without recognizing that they couldn't have uh, chosen differently because they weren't privy to certain information. And that the decision they made, even though it turned out badly for them, was uh, still the best decision they could have made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, we've talked about this a little bit, I think. But, but I mean, you do need to. I mean, considering uh, what's called the counterfactual, which is this this idea of of you could have done something differently or something different could have happened, like that is important for when you encounter similar situations in the future. Sure, right. To, but but uh, and sometimes if you keep <laughs> if you keep returning to the same thing, you'll it'll you know you'll your idea of what you should have done will maybe develop. But I, I think I do think on the whole, it's it it's mostly just like harmful and and unhealthy. Definitely. There's a difference between regret and learning from past mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. If you're enjoying this episode so far, we'd really appreciate if you consider supporting us. You can go like our page on Facebook or follow us on Instagram or give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to our podcast. You can find it on pretty much all platforms. Thanks for listening. How do you how do you think consciousness relates to free will? Mm. The idea of free will. Well, I think to make a decision, you have to be a conscious entity. Mm -hmm. I've I've heard certain definitions of consciousness being, um, or or rather, a, a definition of what it is to be an entity is that you have the ability to make decisions. Mm -hmm. but uh as we've talked about a little bit your your conscious brain becomes 
aware of the decision and of like the deliberations after the other part of your brain has already made them. Mm, talk a little bit more about that. Okay. So there's this, uh, there, there have been a few exper- experiments on this. Um, but yeah, so one of the most famous ones uh, was called the Libet experiment um, after the guy who, who uh, did it. Um, but it was basically, um, so there's a dot on like a clock face that's, that's going in a circle. Um, and all they had to do was just make a movement and uh and then note where the dot was on the screen when they were uh when they were aware of the intention to move right and they found that uh the the conscious awareness of the decision uh was 200 milliseconds before the actual move um but when they measured the brain state they could tell that the brain state proceeded they could tell from the brain state what the intention was about 300 milliseconds uh, before that. So like 500 something milliseconds before. Um, and so sometimes even more than that. So there's this delay between when the brain seems to have made the decision and when the person is aware of the decision. Hmm. And, okay, interesting. And we have to imagine that, uh, and this was done in like the 80s, I think. We have to imagine that with, with uh more and more precise technology, we could we could probably push that time back even further and, and make more uh, precise predictions about more complicated things. Mm, interesting. Um, the issue I have, well, that is a really interesting thing. And the the what I don't think it addresses is that. So what this is predicated upon is the notion of a person's sense of self that the person being tested has a concept of what their self is and when that that ego becomes aware of the decision that's been made that's uh that's when the person consciously makes the decision to move their hand right mm-hmm. but um what i think this is is well a case well of... i that well what they're saying is that the the awareness of the intention i mean precedes the precedes the movement by a little bit as well the awareness of the intention wait to, uh can you, can you say that again in a different way so their their intention preceded the the motion by about two hundred milliseconds. So there was a small gap there. So their intention to move their finger preceded the movement by about two hundred milliseconds. Yeah. Uh, and what was the other part of it? So, but the from the brain readings they were doing, they could see the intention five hundred fifty milliseconds before the the movement on average. So there's like a three hundred millisecond gap more or less well, how how do they define the intention versus the the intention or or the the awareness of the intention so i think that's the that's the whole idea with the with the clock like the person reports where the the um the dot is moving on on the the circle when they are aware of the intention 
and then the I guess whoever's doing the experiment can can see when they actually do the movement and where the the dot is on the clock. So that's like it's like this intention is self-reported. Okay, huh? I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because Lebet himself uh, said it this didn't disprove free will, but a lot of a lot of people have pointed to it mm. as as dis- disproving it. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, methodological analysis aside, um, let's uh, assume this signifies what people think it signifies. Still, to me, there's an issue there where the identity is, I think, misplaced. I think this is a, a situation of misplaced identity. Uh, of, of mistaken identity mm-hmm. because we're defining the entity as the the whole unit um, but uh, and, and we're defining that as like a conscious being but I think that the conscious being um, is in some ways much more than the what we think it is Mm. what do you mean by that well we sort of have these constructs in our mind of who we are and that construct is almost invariably incorrect or imperfect there's always so much more to your existence than you are aware of. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, and furthermore, um, well, I, I would, I would even go so far as to say that it's like this bulwark, uh, your ego, it's like a bulwark in this vast sea of existence and that the sea is you, you're not the bulwark. Mm hmm. I have to look up the de- or what's the definition of bulwark exactly? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, okay, think of uh, like a, f- a wall or a fortress or something, mm-hmm. and um, and you you have these impulses that seem to arise from out there, but really out there is just a part of you that you're failing to recognize is a part of yourself. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like you, you're actually you're not you're not really located behind your eyes yeah I, I would exactly. say yeah i would say you're, you're we've talked about this you're, you are everything that you're sensing is how i would i would think of it mm-hmm. have you heard um that th- there's actually a great amount of uh neural tissue in your stomach area yeah you know? have uh I for, it's called like the the ganglia or something Ganglion? Something kinky like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff like that that uh, we don't really know whether it's it's conscious or not, and we don't really know whether there are, like, islands of consciousness in our brain that are different from us, from our our thing that we perceive as ourself. Mm -hmm. And I would say there's... I mean, there's got to (laughs) be all over the place. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But but also... um, what I heard anyway, which I can't cite this, but that um, your uh, 
neurons in your your stomach area react to stimulus before and without the knowledge of your uh your, your head brain it's it's kind of like a uh a, a, you know the phrase gut reaction it's yeah your impulse uh to move that that saves you from from the tiger right right you don't have time to ponder the philosophical implications of it you just have to move <laughs> right now <laughs> mm-hmm. and so to me it would kind of make sense in such a system that um that the awareness of the the action should happen later than the action mm-hmm. and you, you don't think that has any bearing on on the idea of free will no because i think at the same time by making that action, the 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 gut uh, neurons or whatever part of your brain that is separate from your awareness of yourself, by making that decision to act, it is demonstrating consciousness. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, we don't we don't really know which part of the brain is making the decision and which is the conscious part because we don't understand consciousness. Uh, okay. I, uh, maybe I'll use a different word than consciousness because that's uh, a nebulous word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's demonstrating free will. It's <laughs> <Just> not any <laughs> less nebulous. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think for most people, uh, for 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 something to for them to consider something to be free will, it has to originate from the the conscious part of their brain. Mm-hmm. Well, this this ties into a previous discussion we had that maybe there is no such thing as a not conscious part of your brain. Remember, we yeah. were talking about the the loops, and that each loop, no matter how small a loop is still uh, an identity or an, an entity and that that entity is capable of awareness. Yeah, and that it all kind of builds up from these smaller smaller pieces. Exactly. Yeah, or, or if, panpsychism, if panpsychism is true, then, <laughs> then everything is, is conscious. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it could be a lot messier than that. You're right. Mm-hmm. Every every loop in your brain could could be be yeah. conscious, right? Yeah, and if that's true, then every every loop is involved in making the decision. Then then consciousness and and the decision making could be mm-hmm. could be interlinked. And uh, and this also yeah. ties back into from that same discussion that existence is rooted in perception, and if you are able to perceive certain stimuli and then act um those parts of yourself that have acted are uh making a decision based on perception so if i perceive therefore i am is true then uh you kind of have to recognize them as being conscious entities Mm -hmm. and i like to think about how 
who I think I am is kind of an illusion. Um, it's really a composite created by all these smaller entities that work together toward their own goals and uh, collaborate to create this sort of colony of different entities. And uh, all of those together creates the ego perception of me as a singular entity. Right. Right. And it's also true that you're not necessarily continuous from moment to moment. You're kind of, Mm. you have, you have the memories from your, from your, your past, but each, each present moment, you're kind of distinct and, and separate in a way. Yes. And the, the continuity isn't, isn't necessarily there. Yeah. uh, (laughs) So um, touching back again on, Uh, my first acid trip. This is something I learned from that. Um, This perception of my existence in the present moment as being a whole reality, an eternity. And then Mm -hmm. there was another one. And then there was another one. And Mm -hmm. so because of this, realizing that who I am over the course of time is not one singular person, but as you're saying, each individual moment is a distinct version of me. It's a, a different person, a different entity. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so given all the stuff that we're talking about with brains and, and free will, what do you think the, the implications are for moral responsibility? Well, I think that there absolutely is a, uh, moral uh, responsibility for for each person because whether you recognize it or not, you have the ability to make decisions and those decisions have uh, have outcomes. Mm-hmm. Right. So so your app your actions have consequences, but I think the question is whether it makes sense to assign praise or blame to to actions and people and whether it's, whether it's useful or or to what degree, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it can be useful if it's done in a way that can be learned from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I agree. And and it's hard to, it's hard to not do that just as, as humans, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think we just have to be careful. Yeah, you're right. It can absolutely be destructive if it gets out of hand. Yeah, I know people. I know one per- person in particular who <laughs> I will not name, um, who likes to play the blame game. And every ever anything goes wrong, it's always uh, who's to blame, what went wrong, and who can we cast blame on? And it's it's never that. It just happened that way. It's never a weird amalgam of instances that that made this happen. It's, it's always, who can I blame? Mm-hmm. This is not fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and, it, and it's hard not to, to blame yourself, especially, mm. even though that's that that I think for me, I always try to have that be the, the positive takeaway from from the whole free will discussion. Yeah is that I should be like very, very gentle with myself. Absolutely. 
there's no nothing to be gained from stewing in self guilt and self-reproach yeah yeah it's kind of (laughs) self-indulgent even (laughs) in fact you should be ashamed if you're doing that (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it can get into kind of like a like a masochistic spiral (laughs) yeah definitely that's interesting um so this is this is a very kind of esoteric arcane subject um and that uh, is maybe kind of a uh, semantic uh, bullshit going back and forth. And yet, by talking about it, we come to these valuable takeaways that maybe don't necessarily speak to the the core of the question, but are important life lessons. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, it can also it can also go the, the the other way, like knowing that you don't really have control over something like your work ethic or your ability to pay attention mm. or that kind of. I mean, like you can you can change it, but you don't have. You're gonna have a certain range of of capacity. Definitely, at no the what. same time, um, I think a lot of the time people are looking for instant gratification and they don't realize that it takes time to build those things. You can absolutely have drastic changes to your personality, your work ethic, your ability to focus, but it takes concerted effort over a long period of time. It's something that you have to build up slowly. It's not just going to happen in a day. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. At the same time, now I'm going to, I don't know, I hope I'm not contradicting myself now. (laughs) Uh, So I'll tell you a little story about myself. Um, I grew up with my granddad in the the household because he moved in when I was 10 um, because he was going senile. Uh, He couldn't Mm -hmm. remember three minutes ago. When I was 10, by the time I was 20, he couldn't remember 30 seconds ago. And, you know, he would often have fits of forgetting who or when he was. I remember one time he was talking to me and it sounded like he was maybe back in the Navy. He thought he was speaking to, I don't know, he, he, I, he, I don't know where, where he was, but... Um, just having this presence as a major part of my life, you know, he'd tell the same stories that were kind of comical over and over and over again about his life. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Make the same joke every single morning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So having this presence in my life was highly influential um, in one part, uh, because it taught me to be patient with people, but in another more relevant sense, I realized that I did not want to be like that. I never wanted to lose my mind in that way. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. it was kind of my biggest fear at one point, uh, so much so that I remember a particular instance where I made the decision 
that I wouldn't let myself become that way. I remember making this decision spontaneously as I was standing in the living room next to one of my dad's drums that he, he had standing there. I think I was going out the door uh, to church with my, with my mom and standing there just having a moment of clarity and saying, I'm not going to lose my mind that way. And it was in that instant that I began, uh, I think, to think critically and to examine my existence and um, sort of started me off on this snowball of of uh, thinking and developing uh, a clarity of thought that I didn't possess before. Mm. Wow. <laughs> is, that, is that something you can actually like change through, through the, through effort? Um, from my own personal perception of what that, uh, for lack of a better word, energy is, uh, of being in that, uh, mindset and with my own experiences of developing critical thought and clarity, I think it's absolutely something you can change. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah, there are certainly limitations. There are probably ways that I could still be put on that path for sure. Um, or, or taken off it, I suppose. But um, yeah, I, I, I absolutely feel that is something that you can influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and probably like the early you you start, the, you're a bit better your chances. Yeah, are. that was uh, when I was in high school, so I had a lot more brain plasticity then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still, I. Th- do you do puzzles and stuff? Um, like logic puzzles and that kind of thing. I did, uh, m- more more esoteric and abstract than that. I just began to think about everything every single assumption that I had made, every awareness that I picked up, I would make that into a thought puzzle and say, huh, why is that? What's going on here? And I had the the impression of, at first it was like all these little minor epiphanies, like, oh, I get it, haha, <laughs> that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those sort of would coalesce into these like little tiny islands of knowledge things that Mm -hmm. like oh I thought about that that's a thing that I know now and of course a lot of it was like completely arrogant uh, self-absorbed high schooler who thinks he knows everything Uh, (laughs) but (laughs) um, but eventually those uh, islands started to coalesce together into greater and greater chunks. Um, mm-hmm. And before long, I felt like I had a framework by which I could look at the world and understand it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's super, I think that's super, a uh, super unusual path to take. I am an unusual <laughs> kind person. You're a special, special boy. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I, I'd love to see a study on on how that kind of thing changes the brain as opposed to to the more more logic puzzle oriented type stuff that people always talk about as being useful for mm-hmm. for like dementia prevention. Yeah, um, I think there's a direct corollary we can draw between that and musical practice. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, Obviously, the more you practice, the better you get at the instrument, right? But mm-hmm. there's different ways you can practice, and some are more efficient than others. Right. So, um, for example, I've um, p- people will say that I, I think there's some sort of study out there, which I know, I know, I, I shouldn't say there's a study somewhere, but uh, as far as my understanding goes. Um, if you focus on a particular unit of like, I don't know, a bar or a chord or whatever it is that you're working on, focus specifically on that small unit for a period of maybe two minutes and then move on to something completely different and just cycle through everything that way, that that's more efficient than if you were to sit down for 10 minutes on each minute thing and really hammer it out. Yeah, because I think I think you need to to practice what it's like to to feel like you have something down, and then go try to do something else, and then come back to the first thing, yeah, and have it kind of have fallen out of out of whack, and then you you like re relearn it, and it's faster the second time, totally. and that it just kind of keeps reinforcing yeah. itself, yeah. Totally. And and also yeah. that every musician knows that the 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 least effective way to practice is just to take your piece. Start at the beginning, play to the end, repeat. Yeah. <laughs> it's better <laughs> to break it down into the smaller units and find find the, the pain points, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, t- for me, I when I practice, can get into this flow state where uh, the way I jump around between things that I'm focusing on is really, it feels organic to me. It, it's, it's not mm-hmm. like a... A, a thought out structure where I said, okay, I'm going to spend two minutes on this bar and then two minutes on this. It's uh, kind of like it feels like I've learned to surf my awareness and say, uh, or my attention, surf my attention so that mm-hmm. the moment my attention wants to flip to something else, I let it flip to something else. And to me, this has been mm-hmm. an incredibly effective and efficient way to learn music. Hmm. That's really interesting. So would you say flip to anything else? You mean like in the music yeah, or just... With, within the music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although uh, if, if your mind keeps flitting away from the music, then maybe that's a sign that you should get up and take a walk or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> eat a snack yeah but so, so the reason i brought that up is that i think that that sort of organic following your attention uh method maybe maps to my esoteric following of just analysis of thought spontaneously and constantly uh and like a structured like practice schedule where each bar is measured out to a certain number of minutes would maybe relate to like particular puzzles designed to fight off d- 
dementia. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know, I know music itself. Just Yeah, music is, is supposed to be a good preventative measure mm-hmm. for sure. Definitely. Yeah, so as, as long as we're on the topic of music, I think it's really interesting to think about how the idea of free will relates to improvisation. Ooh, yeah, that's an interesting one. <laughs> because, I, yeah, I think most people would would think that that improvisation especially like free improvisation is is almost as close as you can get to something like free will Mm. like because it it seems so uh like the possibilities are so so uh limitless yeah um but (laughs) but yeah if if you if you examine it closely enough i mean you're you're almost never uh creating something completely new right you're synthesizing yeah what you've already learned it in creative ways mm. and that's that's yeah but yeah it is it is really interesting to think about it and it's it's beautiful to me that that you know when you when you play a, a solo like every note in that solo was like predetermined in some way hmm. <laughs> like it's just kind of kind of beautiful like the the specificity of of the universe hmm. just like includes the specific notes of that solo yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's interesting and it makes me think about there's this you know back and forth is there free will is there not free will and despite all that we've hammered out and all the different ways to look at it it makes me kind of wonder if this is one of those things that's just both of the opposites are true at the same time what do you mean by that maybe there is free will and there is not free will and that is uh, a meaningful truth despite being an apparent contradiction yeah, I mean, is is that would you say that's the same as as saying that the concept of free will doesn't really make sense? Um, I mean, you could look at it that way, but uh, I think you could you don't have to because it's um, it's the the nature of how paradoxes that exist in a finite number of dimensions that appear to be self contradictory when you add a higher number of dimensions it simplifies into a self-consistent scenario huh not sure i quite understand that (laughs) um this is a an idea i learned from michio kaku in his parallel worlds and his hyperspace books when you have a, a paradox you can resolve that paradox by adding an extra dimension so that mm. on the lower dimension it appears to be a contradiction and therefore uh, could be considered a meaningless uh, a meaningless concept. But when you add in that extra dimension, it becomes a, a meaningful concept. Or self-consistent. So, what what would the what would the extra dimension be in the in the free will case? I don't know. <laughs> I could not tell you. Um, but just just to recognize. Oh, yeah, maybe I can tell you. <laughs> um, 
and I, I've, I've brought this up before and you um, called it poetic. Um, <laughs> um, but maybe when we take time into consideration, it can resolve how there can be in this present moment both free will and not free will. And the way I would reconcile those two things is to put free will as the purview of the future, right? Anything could happen, limitless possibility, and determinism as the purview of the past, which seems to be self-consistent and which cannot be changed. Now, when you have the future meeting the past, that is the present, right? Yeah, I guess, the, the, but the future being undetermined depends on whether quantum mechanics or like whether determinism is true or whether the, the indeterminism of quantum mechanics is is ultimately what, what uh, determines what happens. Yes, which while I know that there could be uh, I know that the jury's still out, but for me, it seems kind of necessary to take the view that the quantum mechanic interpretation is valid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would lean towards that as well. But, um, but who knows? Everything could yeah. have possibly been decided. I, I don't necessarily be believe that it's possible that everything was decided at the beginning of whatever and now we're just playing it all out um i don't know if i can defend that except to say that by the fact of our existence in the present that we can perceive um that implies um the ability to make decisions as we've talked about and therefore influence the future and so that if there were not a perception of the present moment, then that could be a place where there would be no no free will, where there would be determinism. But um, if you have that perception of a present, of an identity, of a self, that, that uh, necessarily leaves the space for decisions to be made and therefore to affect alternate outcomes of the future. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're circling back to kind of where we started we and decided we agreed, but uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if we actually agree anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, again, if, if indeterminism is true, then sure. Like what you, what you perceive is not a definite thing. And then, and then you're going to act differently based on the different perceptions. But, um, the, like you're, you're not, you're not controlling the the things that you perceive they're they're being randomly generated yeah which i wouldn't call free will sure and and then, then yeah and then we're getting back into the semantics about free will but just to say that you have volition to make a decision in the present moment and yeah. i think that yeah. by having a perception of the present moment that necessarily includes the volition of being able to make a decision one way or the other. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's, that's true. Cause you could imagine, well, what if, what if there's some, some brain 
that doesn't have any access to uh like any appendages or whatever mm. and can only like perceive through its eyes and it has a decision about whether to pick up a cup or not i don't think that's a meaningful situation i don't think it can have that decision if it has no means to pick up the cup maybe so but um it kind of gets to the to that your your actions are are very very limited from the outs limited from the outset sure, by course. by your present situation. And again, um, I I believe that to have uh, an experience of existing in the present, there must necessarily be uh, an aspect of infinity and an aspect of the finite. And so, yeah, they're 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 absolutely are ways in which you are limited, but also ways in which you are not. Yeah, I still don't think it's, it's necessary to have volition for for perception. I, I, I think we differ there. I, 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 why? <laughs> <laughs> um, because like, like I said, you could, you could have a, 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 brain that can take no action other than thinking of things and it can just perceive and it well i i you could consider thinking of things as as you know choosing whether to think of one thing or another as as volition i would definitely Um, yeah 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 and i guess it i guess it depends on what you mean by perception, but I, I could imagine that you could have an intelligent system that's conscious and yet, and can perceive, but can't have volition. Mm. That's conjecture, but I just, I just don't see what would prevent that. Interesting. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, that, that's, uh, a proof that I need to build up still, but for some reason I see that as, being a necessity yeah yeah it's def- definitely interesting like I, I could see i could see how that would be true but i i don't think it's necessarily true mm-hmm. well um maybe i'll think about that and get back to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds good yeah <laughs> sorry guys you don't get to know the <laughs> the, the nature of existence <laughs> This this will be on our OnlyFans. What? <laughs> Do you know what OnlyFans no. is? <laughs> it's uh, I actually don't really know how to describe it exactly, but it, it's kind of like like, uh, uh, like risque content or whatever mm. that that like people like yeah you have to like pay for it and then people will put kind of you uh-huh. know, racy uh-huh. stuff or like I, I uh-huh. don't even really. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been on it. <laughs> And why do you know what it is, Trevor? <laughs> it's 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 a meme. That's why. <laughs> ah, yes, clearly. Yeah. Uh, closing thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this has been a pretty scattered discussion tonight, but uh, maybe that's yeah. just the nature of the the subject that is it's really kind of hard to talk about and and. This has been a, a point of contention between us where we have very different interpretations of the language and I think very different things that we think about when we 
think about the concept of free will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta say, it was a lot less contentious than yeah, I we kind of ended up agreeing <laughs> on most things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was prepared with like a long list of like different like philosophers uh-huh. and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even need to, to mm. dip into it. <laughs> yeah, as as much as people will debate whether whether this is even a thing that's worth talking about, I think it. I think it is yeah because like like you like you said it can it can lead you to some some valuable takeaways and and valuable ways to look at look at life and and how to live mm-hmm. it and that whole thing and yeah i think ultimately ultimately just more more compassion for people mm. if you if you acknowledge that they, they didn't they didn't choose the way they are yeah definitely even if they're being <laughs> shitty <laughs> yeah what's that <laughs> A quote from The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, There's like a a really unpleasant character and then the kid's like, uh, fuck that guy. And then the dad's like, hey, don't be mad at him. You only have to deal with his unpleasant self for today. He has to deal with it every day of his life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and unpleasant people are like are most likely suffering in some yeah, way definitely all the time or just in that moment it could just be like mm-hmm. a bad day yeah i think it's really valuable to be able to look at that and to see the that morality isn't nearly so cut and dry as we laid out in our hypothetical scenarios tonight <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 clearly you would optimize for the greatest world state best world state for everyone who else would ever not <laughs> everyone is jesus <laughs> yes yes we are all sons of god yeah well, <laughs> I don't know how to tie that together. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I'm, just, I'm just glad we were able to reach so much agreement. Yeah, me too. It was, it was cool. Definitely. Yeah. Again, it's unexpected. Mm. You've definitely uh, encouraged me to think about this and expand my perspective yeah. since we first started talking about it. It's good good because yeah i feel like this is one of those things where not a lot of people change their mind once they they decide what they think mm-hmm. except over maybe maybe very long periods of time yeah i think one of the most valuable things about being able to discourse and have discussions is the ability to change your mind and and grow otherwise you're just uh flinging shit back and forth <laughs> <laughs> i remember one time i was talking with my dad when i was a kid and we were going back and forth and and eventually he made his point and i realized that he was right and i was like oh okay yeah i see you're right then he was like oh what did you say you're right (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah 
Oh, wow. I'm so lucky. So many people would be so jealous to hear that their son said, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) How old were you? I don't know. 10, 12, 10, (laughs) 14. Who knows? I'm glad he got that satisfaction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it kind of annoyed me at the time because I was thinking like, well, what's the point of this? If you're not, if one of us isn't going to say you're right at the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so young, so naive, so innocent and true. And, and uh, like, I, I I believe that still to today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What's, What's the point if you're not willing to say you're right? Yeah. Although, I mean, if you if you really believe that if you talk to the other person long enough that they would say they're right, then or they would say you're right, then that would be a a reason not to say you're right. Mm. Well, I mean, I definitely wouldn't say to say you're right if you don't believe it. But it's it's more just that you are go into the discussion with the ability to recognize when a point has been well made and when that point is contradictory to your own that it becomes a truth that you have to accept even if it changes Mm -hmm. your look on the world yeah you have to be at least willing to get to that point hypothetically definitely well thank you for discoursing with me oh the discourse was a pleasure (laughs) 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 Ha <laughs> <laughs>